So uh, if you've opened your Bibles, we're in Nehemiah. I want to encourage uh, all of you, if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and want one of the ushers, elders, or pastors uh, bring you a Bible. If anybody needs the Bible, we want you to be able to follow along line by line and verse by verse. Really important to be able to do that. As I was sharing last week, chapters four through six, we read, and, and again, what an amazing portion of scripture we're in, that we begin to see the wiles of the adversary, the devil, the attacks that he does. And, and I think I said last week, I believe there's six. I, I can get seven sometimes when I go through it. Sometimes I get six. It, it's up to you. You let the, the Holy Spirit lead you. I, I I went just through it again, and I was I got seven again. Different attacks. The first one we read about in chapter four was remember the mockery, and then the the feeling of uh, feeling you have to defend yourself, and um, and then the other attack, the second one, which kind of began around verse seven of chapter four, was it was that physical threat and attack. You know, the the attack of the physical. You know, the fight and the battle, and you know he's going to kill you. I mean, verse eleven said, you know, in the midst and kill them and cause the work to cease and. And the devil can do that. Boy, he can convince us he actually has the power to do that, as though he's not a lion on a leash, which God controls. And, and sometimes we can begin to believe that, oh man, what can happen to us? When we're in the will of God, we, we're truly invincible. And it's in that that we move into chapter 5 and, and Lord willing, chapter 6 tonight. And as we go through this, it's, I, I know I said it's chapter 4 through 6, uh, that we find these seven attacks. But it's very interesting that we kind of take this pause in chapter five because we really, it's an attack, but we really can't blame the devil for this one. I mean, as Christians, I, and by the way, this portion I'm going to be speaking to tonight, I'm, sp I'm speaking to the born-again believer in the room here tonight, okay? If you're here and you're not a born-again believer, um, you, you may not track with what I'm describing or discussing, but this is to the Christian that is sold out to Jesus Christ and agape loves their brother or sister, which we're all called to do, right? And this attack, uh, again, not by Satan, occurs between Christian and Christian or believer and believer, or in this case, in context, it was Jew against Jew. And there's a few things that a pastor gets, uh, agita or heartache over. You know, it's one thing when the wolves come into the church, you expect that. You, you do. You frankly do. Um, you, you're on guard for those things. It is so different when a sheep decides to bite another sheep. It's just heartbreaking and it never ends well. And it's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night in prayer. And I'm sure a lot of you, because we've all heard of churches that have divided and split because they begin to consume and cannibalize each other. And they don't at all put agape love first. And so I really do pray that as we read this tonight, may the Lord convict us in our hearts if we're guilty of any of these things now or forever. May we be focused on these things. May we look at these things and put our brother or sister before ourselves to honor Christ in all that we do. May we actually be hearers, but doers of the word. You know, may we not play Christian, in other words. Father, we come before you, and I, and I ask, Lord God, that you go before us, because no matter what I would say about this, God, I would blow it, I would mess it up, and the good news is I don't have to. You have given us your holy, perfect, and anointed word here. I pray, speak to our hearts as believers because, Lord, what you've done in this fellowship, the way you have knit such a loving group of men, women, and children together, Lord, I've, I've never been a part of anything like this, what you've done here. And God, I pray until you uh, rapture us out of here, that, Lord, this would never end. And I pray you continue to, to draw hearts closer. Lord, I know there's the carnality of humanity that we battle in the flesh. And we even think we have entitlement as a Christian, forgetting that we gave all that up when we submitted to you, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior, that we're slaves now, bondservants to you, Jesus. And Lord, we put you before anything. We put you before our liberty, before, before anything, Lord. We put love before our liberty. And so, Lord, please wash our minds with your holy word here tonight. Lord, encourage us. If it, Lord, I know churches like a hospital, there may be men and women, children that have been, that are here tonight, that are hearing this, or hearing this online, or hear this on the radio. 
And Lord, they've been wrecked by churches. They've been wrecked by pastors. They've been wrecked by ministries. And it's so easy, Lord, to find fault with those things because they're imperfect. And Lord, often it tarnishes and misrepresents your holy name. God, may we be humble, meek, strength under control, mild that way. Incredibly devoted to you, Jesus. Willing to give up any right of defense in the hopes that, Lord, we glorify you in everything we think, speak, and do. And Lord, I, I don't think I'm alone here in my prayer for this tonight. I think my brothers and sisters are right with me. So we ask this, Lord, because I know I can't do this on my own, and maybe they feel the same way. So, Jesus, we ask for your supernatural ability, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Baptize us anew. And Lord, light the fire again. We ask this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people in agreement, pray. Amen. Amen. I do hope that's all of our prayer here this evening. Chapter 5 of Nehemiah. We see the infighting Christian versus Christian or Jew versus Jew. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. So, um, immediately, a time, food was always meant to be a time of fellowship and intimacy, right? And, and we know eating food like that one another, we partake together, we're partaking and sharing of each other. It's beautiful the way the Lord laid this out, but right in the beginning, there are those that are feeling cheated or as though there's not going to be enough for them and, and that they have to strive or somehow, um, fight, um, and, and it's going to get worse here as Nehemiah is going to break this out. It, it's not going to just be over food. It, it's ultimately going to be become the noblemen or those that are of what we would call the wealthy class. Where they had literally, as they had come back in this land, apparently they had bought back all of the Jewish slaves from the surrounding nations and redeemed them. And, and so when they did that, what happened is, instead of them all, you know, partaking and working hard and earning together, they actually began to buy each other, or they began, because prices began to rise, they began to sell their own children into slavery with each other. Meanwhile, God, as we know in the Old Testament, we'll look at it, he had forbidden this. You, you weren't even under Jewish law allowed to charge interest to a brother. that we, It was called usury. I'll read about it in a minute. You, you weren't even allowed to do that. And so while we think, oh, it's just the food, oh, it never ends there. It continues to grow and it gets out of control. And it, it, hold your finger here, actually, as we didn't get too far. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, please. I don't want us to think this is just an Old Testament, you know, teaching and that we don't see a similar um, exhortation in the New Testament. And what I mean by that is the device of Satan, it's either the world, the flesh, or the devil. We, we need to acknowledge that. In this particular case, it may or may not be a device of Satan. As I said, I think it's a, a carnality of man versus man or woman versus woman. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That's what I'm calling a tax here tonight. As born-again believers in Christ, are we ignorant of the devices of Satan? Are we ignorant of our own attacks and carnality? We need to be aware of these things and acknowledge them. And so... What we see is, again, this, I don't believe is the devil. It's really more of the flesh. Uh, usury, greed. I mean, anytime we are seeking the Lord in service, the enemy is going to attack that. And yet, when it turns on ourselves and we fight, inward fight that way, Satan always wins. 
even if he's not the motivator, he always wins. Um, there were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and our vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. And they're saying at this point they'd gotten to the point where there's no resources left over, nothing. They had consumed it. Those were also... There were those also who said, we have borrowed many our money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have brought, been brought into slavery. They're selling themselves just for survival. That's how bad it had gotten. It is not in our power to redeem them. For other men have our lands and vineyards. And just to stay alive, right? And I became very angry, this is Nehemiah, when I heard their outcry and these words. And I like what it says here in verse 7. Um, after serious thought. You know, when, when you look at this construction, after serious thought, if I asked you to think tonight, what does that mean? When you read it at face value, you would think that it means that Nehemiah basically took a few minutes and kind of thought about it, right? Or considered it. Um, the idea here, the consideration, the Hebrew word serious, it literally means in translation to consider. The word thought there, is actually the word in Hebrew that means heart. So what it's actually telling us, when we think, I think about it, we might think we what? We cerebrally or mentally, he's weighing these things mentally. What we actually read in the Hebrew here is after giving this or considering this from the heart, which is where all things should be considered that way, Right? It's what he's saying, upon me, I'm taking it upon me, I'm filtering it. I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them and said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nation. So this is what I mentioned earlier. They had already done that. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren or should they be sold to us? Again, apparently they were using the monies to buy people out of slavery and then the rich or the wealthy began to buy them and put them right back into slavery for themselves, which again was against the law. I, I printed out something. Some of you have gone to gotquestions.org. You ever heard of that website? It's actually a good one as a resource. I, I printed something out about usury, and I thought it would just be helpful for our time tonight, just to, if you allow me to read it directly from there. We could go certainly to some of the scriptures, but just for time, I thought it would be helpful. What is usury in the Bible? Because we, we don't talk about that term, and really the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about going to the bank to get a loan. That's not usury. That's not in the same context. Just so you understand, many times that's eisegeted and taken out of context. That's not what it's talking about here. This was under the context of a Jewish man, woman, or family charging another Jewish man, woman, and family in excess beyond what would have been normal or honorable for the use of resources, money, that they didn't have. And so by helping them, in turn, what you actually were doing was further, because of the inflation of the interest that you were charging them, putting them further in debt. You're actually hurting them more and more. What is usury in the Bible? Usury is, by modern definition, the illegal practice of lending money and unusually high rates of interest. Usury is usually carried out with the intention of a lender or user gaining an unfair profit from a loan. The modern uh, slang term for this is a loan shark. You might have heard that term. Well, why do you think of a shark? Well, a shark's a nice animal. You want to get in the ocean and pet one of those, right? They're docile, domesticated, right? No, they kill, they destroy, they maim, right? That's what we think of sharks. I know there's people in here that love sharks. Forgive me, I'm not attacking you. I get it. But I know we got Shark Week lovers. I'm not. But, but when we think of a shark, that's what we think of, something that destroys, devours, Somewhat 
Complicating the matter is the fact that before the creation of usury laws, usury could refer to interest in general. Now, usury refers to an exorbitant and illegal high interest rate. In the King James, it uses the word usury, and it's obsolete in the sense. For example, in Exodus, what it means is by pure definition, when it says that. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 25, the basic rule regarding interest is, if thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as a usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. We got a little thousand thems because of the King James here. However, in the English Standard Version, the same verse reads, If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not exact interest of him. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were forbidden for charging usury and interest on loans to fellow Jews. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 23, if you're taking notes, verse 19. But they were allowed to charge interest on loans to foreigners. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 20. The early iterations of this law in Exodus chapter 22, 25 and Leviticus 25, 38 make it clear that it deals with loans made to fellow Israelites who were experiencing poverty. Having to pay back the loan with usury or interest would put them further into debt and was not beneficial to them or the economy. Loans to foreigners, however, were considered more of a business deal, such as loans were seen as international commerce and therefore allowed. This law served as a reminder to the Jews that helping those in need is something that should be done without expecting anything in return. Many of the loans we are familiar with in modern times come from banks. And the Bible doesn't say much about this. What the Bible does not prohibit is the charging of interest. It, while the Bible does not prohibit the charging of interest, it does warn against becoming too concerned with money and telling us that we cannot serve both God and money at the same time, right? Matthew chapter 6, 24. We are reminded that desire to be rich leads to destruction and the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. In addition, God's wisdom includes a warning not to take advantage of the plight of the poor. Sharks, who gouge the needy in the time of their distress, will not enjoy their spoils for long. He that by usury and unjust gain increaseth his substance, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. Proverbs 28, 8. In another translation, whoever increases wealth by taking your interest or profit from the poor, amasses it, it will be taken from them and being given to the poor. And so God has a whole lot to say about that and how we did our dealings or the Jewish people handled their dealings in, in the Old Testament. So again, back to the passage we're in. This is, what's in. this is what's infuriated or made Nehemiah so upset because not only was this against the law, they had just come back into the land. They're trying to rebuild the temple, rebuild the, the wall, the, the gates that way. But they're selling themselves into slavery and profiting against their own brothers and sisters just so they can get ahead. And this in no way honors the Lord. This is no way honors the Lord. He's not saying there's anything wrong with working hard and earning a good living and being able to have that. That's not what he's saying here. It's just when someone else has a need, if you're able to help meet that need, okay, you can do that. But you don't go to them and say, oh, by the way, you have to pay me three times as much back, right? That would certainly be usury. E even today, I think that most of us as Christians would find that exorbitant and, and, and sinful, right? In verse 10, he says, I will also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards. He's saying right now, their olive groves and their houses. Also a hundred of the money to the grain and new wine with oil that you have charged them. So they said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them. We'll do as you say. Then I called the priests and required an oath. Our word should mean something. From them that they would do according to this promise. An oath is a covenant that's taken between another man and before God. You know, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. How precious that is today, huh? I'm sure many of us in our dealings, somebody says yes, only to later on say no. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. 
Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and empty. In other words, may you lose everything if you dishonor this oath. This is, this is serious stuff that Nehemiah was putting forward to the Jewish people at this time. This is serious stuff. And all the assembly said, Amen. What's that mean? So be it, or that's the truth. And they praised the Lord, and then all the people did according to the promise. Now, what we read here in this next passage, verse 14, is apparently over the same time, Nehemiah actually enters some kind of, uh, we won't use the term politics, but he actually becomes a governor. And what he's really concerned about in this passage has everything to do with his conduct. The conduct that he wants to have, the character of the man, the way that he would be known. And that's top of mind for him. And it's, it's certainly really important. He's going to serve as a governor for 12 years. And I don't believe this axiom biblically has changed for any of us. We should all be concerned with our conduct and our character and how we represent ourselves, how we represent the Lord. And so let's read together in verse 14. Moreover, from that time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. You see what he says there? He says, I didn't take what I didn't need it. I didn't get, I didn't take it off the backs of the people because I didn't have a need that way. I didn't, it was, it was entitled to me, but I refused it because I didn't need it. And I wasn't going to turn around because he already said the taxes were high, right? And people were having to, you know, sell more and more of their land, more of their property to pay their taxes. And so he wasn't going to make things worse on the back of his people that way. He was going to do what was right. Now, if he needed it, I'm sure he would have taken the provision, but he didn't. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver, which was a tax. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because, and I love this, please circle this in your Bible, because of the fear of God, because of the fear of the Lord. I didn't do this because I feared God. I wasn't so much doing it to please man or to be an example or a show to men. But I did it because I fear the Lord and I wanted to be able to stand before the God in conduct blameless. I like that. Do you like that? I, I really like that. Right? He, he's all heart, man. Right? You think of Rocky Balboa, you watch one of the movies, right? You're all heart, Rock. Nehemiah's all heart, man. He's all heart. And he's all truth. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall and we did not buy any land. In other words, he didn't enrich himself either. I have to ask you all a question. Have you ever taken a look at the House of Representatives or the Senate? I'm not trying to be unfair. I'm just asking you a question. Have you ever looked at the salaries that they receive? Many of our people in this community receive some similar salaries, actually. Yet, after a four or two or six year term, most of us are not millionaires or multimillionaires. I'm just saying. It's just interesting to me, you be Bereans, not saying that they're not family investments or things like that. Look, I don't know. I, I'm not. But it is interesting to me that you can earn $100,000 a year, even that's a phenomenal salary. And yet after six years, somehow it's now worth eight, 10 million. Your family now is buying a mansion or a large house. I, I, boy, that's a good investment, huh? We'd all like that kind of rate of return on uh, our disposable income off the $100,000. Uh, maybe people are enriching themselves. I think we just saw some things happening uh, in the house recently when we wanted, so there was a certain man that wanted to get a speaker or, you know, wanted to be the majority leader, maybe is the better way to say it, excuse me. And he was wheeling and dealing to make those things happening, right? He said, well, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. And, and look, we're not ignorant to that, right? There's a lot of wheeling and dealing, shaking of hands, barter trading, those things. It's just, 
when it's done on the back of hardworking men and women that are just getting by. You know, there, there's a saying that they use, and it's called, how much pork is in the, you've heard that? How much pork is in these, these things they're passing? And, and you read some of these things, you know, like this recent legislation that was put out to, to help, and you go through, and it has nothing to do with, you know, I mean, how many of you saw that, you know, we want to make some things simpler for the IRS, right? We want, we, want to, we, want to, we want to really make it easier for the taxpayer. So we're going to hire 78,000 agents, and we're going to arm them. Because that's going to make your 1040 easy, easier, right? Again, these are not things that are difficult to figure out. You know, I like the idea of a consumption tax. The more you consume, the more you pay. Seems good to me. I think it's a great idea. I wonder how many people are willing to do that. That way you, you work harder, you can earn more. When did that become a bad thing? It isn't. And those that want to work hard can profit. And if they want to give and should give and share, well, praise the Lord for that. Nothing wrong with that. Those that consume more should pay more tax. Again, very logical. We don't need 78,000 agents armed. We don't need to create an entire government operation to be able to go through and look at a 1040 EZ. This is what it's talking about here. This is what it's talking about here. This is what Nehemiah said he wasn't about. And you know why he wasn't about it? Because he feared God. He feared the Lord. And that's what it looks like. And when you see men that don't fear God, oh my, what won't they do to enrich themselves? All my servants were gathered there for work. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers. That, that's a big table. Have you ever seen a table that can fit 150 Jews and rulers? That's a big table. And, he, and Nehemiah is taking care of feeding all of them. He's, he's like, hey, these are people that I'm responsible for. They work for me. They, they serve in this capacity. And, he, and he's, he's, he's a good man. He cares for those people that are caring for him. You remember when employment used to be like that? When you were willing to sign on and work for an employer for 50 years, 40 years, 30 years? And at the end, you know, of that time, you know, you didn't just get a watch, but they looked after you and they looked after your family because you looked after them and there was vested interest to take care of each other because there was a love for one another because we all grew up in the same community. We grew up in the same towns. We went to the same schools and we cared about each other. And it didn't matter, you know, any of those things that can be used to divide people, none of that mattered. It was about taking care of one another. Not so anymore today. That's not the agenda. This is what happens when you don't have a healthy fear of the Lord. Well, Nehemiah sets up this beautiful table and they come and there is besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowl were prepared for them. And once every 10 days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. Huh. Wouldn't that be awesome? If, and it does happen once in a while. You do hear about a CEO that says, you know what, I don't want the bonus. And I give it back to the employees. Or you do hear about it once in a while where there's a president that says, you know what, I won't take a salary because I want to help the people. I want to be part of that. Boy, if we just got back to the basics, huh, friends? We just got back to the basics. But it's agape love. To do that, you got to have agape. You got to have unconditional love. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I've done for this people. He says, that's how he wants to be remembered. He's not saying, remember me because I was the governor and 12 years I was the guy. He says, no. He says, remember me, my God, that I put my God first. 
He says, remember me for good, for the good that I wanted to do to help other people. Unconditional love I did. According to all that I had done for this people, my love for the people, the Jewish people. He says, that's what I want to be remembered for. And you know what? Tonight we're going to honor Nehemiah that way because that's how we should remember Nehemiah, his character and his conduct. Chapter 6. Now we're going to move back into the, 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 seven, the other attacks, right? Five more, four more if you prefer, that we're going to see that Satan's going to take care of. Because after all, Satan was able to take a vacation in chapter 5 because men were, you know, handling enough on their own by, you know, berating each other and infighting and everything else. Did you realize that? You know Satan is not omnipresent, you know, I, I hear people say sometimes, well, Satan, most of us will never, ever be afflicted by Satan directly. He's dealing with, you know, a world leader somewhere in a closet, you know, room. We have no idea of the conversation. He's the puppet master, whoever's the puppet master behind a lot of the things we see today. That's who Satan is going after. But the demons, the principalities and powers, oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fight those on a daily basis, won't we? Whenever you're doing the work of God or God's work, don't be surprised when there's affliction or oppression. Don't be surprised when there's attacks from the devil. And so what are those attacks? We already talked about the first two. Let's continue reading. Now it happened when Sembalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and there was no breaks in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors on the gates, there were still openings, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. <laughs> it's a little too easy, but do you want to go to a place that's named Ono? I don't think I want to go to that place. Oh no. Right? I wonder if that's where the English translation of oh no came from. I don't know, but I'm not going there. Here's attack three if you want to circle it and underline it in your Bible. What's happening? This is a setup, right? Certainly, this is, this is if nothing else, a political distraction, but this is absolutely a setup. He is actively engaged by the will of God to rebuild the wall, hang the gates, and complete that work that God had given him. Now, while these guys reach out to him and say, hey, Let's get together and talk. One that distracts him from the work he's supposed to be doing to rebuild the gates and hang the, the, the doors as he's supposed to do, which God commanded him to do. So that's wonderful because it, 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 it accomplishes that. It distracts him. The second thing that it does is it's going to lead him into a trap, a snare. And it says, but they, but they thought to, to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am not doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Right? No boasting. And did you see what you hear? God's work is great. I like that. I am doing a great work so I can't come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Nope. I'm not going to do what you want. I'm going to do what God's calling me to do. I'm going to do that great work. This is, this is a personal attack here, if you could describe it that way. It's no longer corporate. It's, it's personal, and it's, it's, it's directly towards him, and he wants to take him out. And how is he trying to do that? But through distraction and basically a setup to make one thing present as one way when it's entirely for a different reason and means. That's exactly what we see here. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times. Okay, so again, we just talked about attacks. This is attack four. What is the attack four? Repetition. That the devil often doesn't turn around and just say, hey, what do you think? You want to come down? You want to come down? No, he presses in and he'll multiple times. Just even thinking about the taxation of, you know, the, the, the taxing of having to respond to the, the invitation four times and, you know, be cordial and everything. When he already said, I need to be faithful. And, and I love what it, it also teaches us here. Being faithful keeps us out of trouble. Did, did you see that? Because not going down to Ono, which, by the way, is, is quite a journey, okay? It's, it's about a 25-mile trip. It's northwest. So just so you understand, this wasn't like, this is about a day's journey for him to make a trip down there. So that, again, takes him away from the work of God, and he's not willing to do that. He, he's, he says no. And so being faithful to God keeps us out of trouble, because had he gone down there, we know that 
what were they going to do? They were going to do him harm. It says it already in verse uh, 2 there. I mean, I want you to think about a military for a second. You know, our leaders, military leaders, you know, um, what is it? What is the goal? I mean, when you think about terrorists and different things, we always look uh, when they uh, threaten harm and do you want to just take out any of the lower level folks or, or do you want to take out the leader that's leading this, you know, terrorist type agenda or attack? Why do they go after Osama bin Laden? Why didn't they go after all the other people that were just, you know, five or ten ranks down below Osama bin Laden? Because many times when you take out the leader, the other people do what? They quit. They stand down. They go away. They're, they're, they're done. What does that also teach us biblically? Is that men like Nehemiah, good men, leaders like this, they're not a dime a dozen. They're not a dime a dozen. Good leaders that have good character, good contact, that love and walk in truth, they're, they're just not a dime a dozen. And so often we think that you know, they are. So part of the attack is a lot of times he will go after leaders, Satan. He will go after the one leading the work or doing the work. You know, pastors and elders, we, we understand that in ministry. We expect that. You know, we expect to have attacks because we're giving the word of God. We're drawing men and women to Jesus Christ. So we expect those things. But this part of this attack for here, the fourth attack, he's also using distraction because he keeps saying it over and over again. And if we're not careful as leaders, well, okay, maybe this time I'll go. Instead of staying and keeping our focus on Jesus. And let that encourage you, wherever God is calling you, whatever he's showing you, whatever the work of God is, that he had moms here, dads, grandparents, in your homes, right? Whatever the work God has for you, be faithful to that work. It'll keep you out of trouble, number one. But also understand that there's going to be tons of distraction that's going to come, try to come against you in that. And you've got to be able to, to understand what's from the Lord and what's not. Be on guard for those things because he's going to try to attack that way. Hold to your calling. Hold to the calling. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written. So here, here's attack five, right? This is going to be lies and slander if I can give it a title, lies and slander, fault accusations to destroy the character and bring, bring, construct, bring destruction excuse me, to God's work. That, that's what's going to happen here. This is another attack that will happen often. Um, certainly happens to every single pastor. Uh, I am not aware of a pastor this doesn't happen to. Um, so it says that he sent an open letter. What, would that be concerning to you if you received a letter and somebody came up to you and it's not sealed and it's open? What's the implication of that? That the person that was delivering that letter could have had the opportunity to do what? Read it. And do you think that was by design? Yes. Because if they're going to read the letter, then what is that going to do? Then they're going to read it and go, oh my. And the next thing you know, all the backbiting, all the rumoring, and everything that is going to happen from that, and it's going to spread like wildfire through the church, through the, in this particular case, through the reins, to do what? To undermine and lie against Nehemiah. That's exactly what the attempt is here, to destroy an attack. It's reported among the nations and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Do we have any evidence to this point biblically that that was the plan? Absolutely not. It's a lie and it's slandering. Therefore, according to these rumors, and we should circle that in our Bibles, because if we're not careful, we're going to continue to do what? Propagate these because we think we're helping. When really, we, we have no business in that. He says, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. Now, that's, that's a real big deal because what he's effectively saying is this is a charge of treason against King Artaxerxes. This will get you killed. You know, he's the wine. You remember, he's the, he's the, the wine bearer, the cup bearer, right? He's the one that tasted the wine to make sure it wasn't poisonous. Artaxerxes funded this whole thing. He sent him. He's provided a lot of the provisions. He's a trusted um, ally of Artaxerxes. And now this letter is being basically sent around to undermine Nehemiah's credibility and, may I suggest, his motives. What is Nehemiah really in, for, in it for? 
It's an immediate attack on motives. Not that Nehemiah never blew it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking that this is a pure attack of lie and slander. And again, to the point of where, you know, he wants to destroy. And the devil loves this. I have seen churches completely divided because of this attack. I, I, have, I have heard of pastors at conferences when they're broken because something like this happens and it's still very raw and fresh, stand up at a pastor's conference where it's a trusted uh, a place, you might say, and, and, and just pour out their heart only to find out a year or two later, they meet up with the, the person. The person said, you know, gosh, I'm, I should have I come to you directly and asked you, did this happen? I never did that. I just, I just assumed it did. And, and so we looked elsewhere. We started doing, you know, we went elsewhere. We, 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 what? Do you know how many churches are divided? Because people don't stop and come up and say, Pastor, can I talk with you or elder or whoever or brother or sister? Can I talk to you about these things? And it's not even true. And yet it spreads like the devil loves this. He loves to destroy the work of God this way. It's very easy for him because he knows that once he puts it into a carnal human, they'll do the rest. The rumor mill will start and the backbiting will begin. We have to be on guard against this. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Never did that. Now these matters will be reported to the king, so come, therefore, and let us consult together. He couldn't get him there alone to, oh, no. So now he's trying to give him a reason. Well, hey, we, we, need, to, we need to consult and, and, and conspire on this. And uh, look, if this happens to you, what we see here and what Nehemiah is going to do, he immediately shuts it down. Shut this down. Do not entertain it. Shut it down. Come to the person directly. Go to your brother or sister. Shut it down. Do not be, oh, you know, how many times have we even heard, I mean, let's be honest, not here, but how many times have you gone to a church where they have corporate prayer and they come in and you listen at corporate prayer and oh Lord, Right? And I'm not saying there's not some intention there, but, you know, to intercede. But, oh, Lord, you know, Susie down the road just sleeping with such and such. And, oh, God, we know you don't like that, but we love Susie, Lord. But Jimmy doesn't know it. And so, Lord, we pray for Jimmy and Susie and their kids, Jimmy, Johnny, Joey, and Susan, who live at... 23 Mulberry Street in Rochester, New York, 14620, who happen to be home and get out of work at 6 a.m. if you walk by and notice anything disturbing. Amen. You laugh. Shut it down. If I ever heard that in corporate prayer, I don't care who's praying it, shut it down. That's not of the Lord. Or, or people getting together in small groups. Did you hear what this person did? Did you hear what's going on over here? What's going on over there? It's all rumoring. And Satan's having a field day. And he, he thinks he wins the day in this. He's, he's like, look, look at him go. And they, you know what? They, came to, they claim to be his elect. They're his elect and they're doing that. Even the worldly people don't do that. But leave it to his elect. They're really good. Watch this. We got to be on guard with that, guys, gals, friends. We got to guard our hearts for this. Then I sent to him, look at verse 8, because of the lies and, again, tracking his character and motive, which, again, all he wanted to be was remembered in verse 19. Remember me, my God, for the good according to all I have done for this people. That's all Nehemiah wanted. And yet, what does Satan go after? The man's character. It didn't, it didn't say Nehemiah was perfect, but he certainly wasn't this. Then I sent to him saying, no such thing as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. You know why he shuts it down like this? Because the devil will consume us in this fight. But, but if you take, 
I've heard it said before. If you take care of your character, God will take care of your defense. If you take care of your character, God will be your defense or take care of your defense. You don't need to defend yourself. Sometimes the best thing you can do when there's a reviling accusation is to sit quiet. And that's the hardest thing to do. You can be at a table. There could be six, five, seven people around and they're just spewing these lies. And you just... Hardest thing to do. But it's biblical. You don't have to defend yourself. I assure you, one day, the truth will always come out. It will always be brought to light. In this particular case, these men, they're going to be brought to light. God is going to deal with them. For trying to come against God's, in this particular case, will and work that Nehemiah was called to do. Right? God is our defense. It's what we read in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2 and 3. It's what we read in Psalm uh, 7, uh, verse 10. God is our defense. And, and I know it's hard, friends. I don't stand up here, um, you know, innocent in this idea that it's not hard to want to defend your character. When you work really hard or, you know, you want everybody to think the best of you. You want everybody to pray and, and assume the best of you. And, and again, we, we know we're not perfect, but, but to, have that, to have that idea that somehow we have to defend ourselves as though we have to prove to other people our worth instead of trusting God to do that. And it's hard, right? You, you've had that where somebody's brought up false accusation or a violent accusation against you. It's, it's, it's hurt you. Doesn't it cut it to your heart? And you get upset. And what's it promote? Anger? Or do you immediately peace out? I'm so glad they're talking about me and all these lies. And you're just peace out, right? You're laying back. No, it, it draws you to anger and emotion and and, and you're upset. Now, therefore, oh God, strengthen my hands. You see what he does? He begins to pray. God, help me. Help me. He, he's going he's gonna to deny. He's going to share their motive. And then he's, you know what he's going to do? And I love this. He's going to get back to work. And attack five will be here. The fear. Afterward, I came to the household of Shimeiah, okay, the son of Delilah, Deliah, Aiah, the son of Methodabel, who was a secret informer. We all love those. <laughs> and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. What's the problem with this? I mean, this is the fifth attack. It seems good, right? Logical. Somebody's coming to destroy you. Let's run. Let's hide. And let's cower in fear. Satan, he's very, he's brilliant. He's clever in that. He makes you think that that's, that's the only option you have. What's the problem with this? Well, first of all, it contradicts scripture. Right out of the gate, what did you guys catch? And I caught the same thing here, right? He said, let's meet together in where? The house of God, the temple, right? Who is the only one that's allowed to go into the temple and especially hide back in those areas? But a priest. Is Nehemiah a priest? He is not. So this man that's an informant that's supposed to be helping him who's coming to him is telling him to do something that directly contradicts the word of God. Is that good counsel? Right? But if we don't pause long enough to, to seek the Lord, run it through the grid of scripture, we could act in our emotion and our emotions can betray us. And we can run right into that thinking we are protecting ourselves when in, in reality, what are we doing? We're running to our own death because now we're out of the will of God. Isn't that, isn't that something? It's, it's the fifth. It's, we've got to be weary of these things, right? Our identity needs to be in God. He is our defense. He says, and I said, should such a man as I flee? And, and, I, and I love his, his response to him. Such a man as I, right? His identity is in Jesus Christ. His identity is in God Almighty. Such a man as I. That's not any other thing. It's, it's a man of God. And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? 
You know, what did, when you think about fleeing, what did we read about Joseph with Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39, 9, right? She was making advances. Yeah. And Joseph sat down and tried to convince her lovingly not to do this because Potiphar was good to Joseph. And after all, he wanted to win her to Christ. No. What did he do? He fleed, it said. He got away, as far away as he could. And then what happened next? Remember we talked about the attacks? There was a violent accusation. Remember, they don't have to all go in this order. There was a violent accusation brought against Joseph. Against what? A lie that did what? Slandered his character. We're kind of going reverse now. And when he lied and slandered the character, what happened next? They put him in jail for a crime he didn't commit. And that's important too, because sometimes you stand innocent, you said innocent, and you're like, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? But how does it end for Joseph? Huh? Read the whole account. How does it end for Joseph? It is well with his soul. And it'll be well with your soul too, and my soul. So he says, Am I, am I to flee? And who is there such as I would go into the temple and to save my life? I will not go in. I'm not going to flee. I'm not going to run from. Then I perceived that God has sent him. At, then I perceived that God had not sent him at all. Certainly because he's contradicting scripture. But he had pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Oh, now the motive, right? For this reason he was hired that I should be afraid. So again, part of that fifth attack, fear. That's going to cause you to act in a way that will bring sin and will dishonor God, but bring sin upon yourself. He says, I should be afraid and act the way and sin so that they might have a cause for an evil report. He says, then, and I, the love of the devil does this, right? Not only is he guilting you or trying to, you know, bear false accusation against you. And then actually when you run and cower in fear, he then uses that to do what? To actually incriminate you. He says that they may be, that they might be reproached. They might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat. He leaves it to God. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these works and the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who had made me afraid. I, I love this. Rest. Don't fear. There's always God's grace and strength available to the believer. So it was when the wall was finished Again, 52 days of attacks and God's faithfulness. Again, with opposition and affliction. We see Nehemiah persevered. He kept his hand upon God's work and uh, didn't waver, right? So the wall was finished. Underline that in your Bible. On the 25th day of Elul, excuse me, Elul, in 52 days, you know, isn't this just a summary to the miracle? A summary to the miracle what God did through this. And it happened when all our enemies heard it. Um, and all the nations around us saw these things. You know what that means? They all are even receiving this and understanding this is a miracle. Even the unbelievers. Even those that are against them. That they were very disheartened. You know what it did? Obeying God. Bringing glory to God. Some people say, I want to kick the devil in the teeth. No, you don't. You want to cut the devil deep? Do the work of God. Glorify God. Because it's exactly what happened here. What happened? That they were disheartened. He didn't have to take action. He didn't have to fight that battle. God was his defense. He obeyed the scriptures. And he left the consequences to God. And God was his defense. And what did that do to Satan? It cut him deep. It disheartened him. In their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Brings glory and honor to God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, right? Political move here. Tobiah is an evil man. And the letters of Tobiah came to them. So again, playing both sides here. This is what we see. Someone, there's a character out here. And this is why I say this could kind of be sort of the seventh attack, if I say it that way. Um, because this would kind of be one that the devil will use where he gets someone to try to play both sides of the fence. And that's what Tobiah 
is doing right now. And, and he says he sends the letters, okay, these nobles of Judah, excuse me, I meant to say, the nobles of Judah who are supposed to be his kinsmen actually betray him. And they write letters and they're playing the side of the Jews and they're playing the side of Tobiah and they betray him. So there's always dragons, right? We, we have to understand that. You serve the Lord, you're going to have those things, but it's better, in my, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say, it's better to let that happen than to withdraw yourself completely because God will always be your defense. You will go through difficulty in life. You will go through heartache. But if you can do it where you honor the scripture and you glorify God, God gets the glory. And it doesn't matter what else happens. And, I, and that's something that we all have to just be convinced of when we go through difficult trials and tribulations and afflictions and oppressions. Because our natural carnal attitudes don't want to defend ourselves, but, but we can't do that. It's not, not, it's not what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to do that. But we also need to be on guard that there's going to be those that are going to, again, they're, they're, they're Jews, nobles of Judah. These are the wolves in sheep clothing. These are the guys and the people that stab you in the back. That's what it's talking about here. They came to them for many in Judah were pledged to him. How, why were they pledged to him? Because they were married into families. Because he was the son-of-law of, of Shechaniah, uh, the son of an Arab, and his son, Jeconiah. And he married the daughter of Meshlam, the son of Berkiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported the words to him. So what we read here is this, this is an attack again from within. For the wolf among the sheep, people working against God. And, and not only that, this attack... Um, it's to sow distrust, it's to harm relationships, and it's to create disunity. And this, this is what can happen as a Christian. I, I'm not asking for a raise of hands here, but if any of you in your Christian walk over your lives ever experienced this, where that kind of heartache comes from the least person you ever expected it to be from, and, and, you, and you're just, you're shocked. Where did this come from, Right? When you're doing the work of God, you shouldn't be surprised by this attack. You shouldn't be surprised by it. Doesn't mean you should look for it either. We, I, I've made that mistake. You shouldn't make that mistake either. Right? Don't do that. I've done that. Don't do that. Right? It's never who you think it's going to be anyway. It's never going to be the people you think it's going to be. And that, and, and that doesn't matter. It's not, it's not up to you to figure that out, right? It's just be faithful. That's what Nehemiah does. Tobiah sent the letters to what? Frighten him, right? What was the sin here in this attack that the Jewish people were doing, the wolves and sheep? They were elevating family relationships over what? Over God and his people. If we're not careful, we can fall into that trap too. Amen. So that's chapters four through six, the seven attacks we see of Satan. Chapter five, the attacks that Christians do upon Christians, or in this case, Jews upon Jews in context. And may God protect us, the, 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 the musicians can come forward. May God protect us from this here. Amen. May God protect you in your lives. May, may you never experience any of these attacks. But if you do, and these things should come forward. May you return to this passage in Scripture. May you have it bookmarked and highlighted to know what you ought to do when one of these seven attacks comes. Because more than likely, doing the work of God, you're going to experience an attack like this in your life. And I, I wish I could tell you it's not true. But rather, I think the Lord would rather prepare us so that we handle it the right way. Amen? If you'd like to stand, please, please stand.
Aren't you so glad that God, his holy word, he keeps and he keeps all of this for us, that we don't have to walk in this life blindly or aimlessly. We can know his protection, his desire and design for our lives. I just pray right now and I'm going to bow my head. I'm going to pray for all of us, for God's healing, for God's protection, for God's anointing and for God's perfect work for this upcoming year. Will you guys join me in that prayer? Father, we come before you, Lord. Lord, whether there's some people here tonight, Lord, I, I don't know, but maybe there's some people here that are broken. Maybe there, there are people that, Lord, they, they, this passage, it really resonates with them. Maybe there's things in their lives that have happened to them, Lord, that, that they've just, Lord, they've just been beaten and, and literally pulled over the coals. Lord, maybe, maybe there's some that are here tonight that, Lord, we read this, they Never even thought about these things. Couldn't even imagine this, these things happening to Christians, to the church, to Israel, or even being part of, of Israel's past. God, I, I just pray that you would go before us, Lord, in this new year, this brand new year, Lord, that you have just established, you've given us life, you've given us a calling. Lord, you've given us your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We have everything we need. Father, we have everything we need in Jesus. God, we pray your hand of protection. Lord, I pray your hand of protection will be upon the bride of Christ, Lord. Lord, I pray for those that are gathered here tonight that you would, Lord, wash them, cleanse them, heal them, Lord Jesus. 
Lord, protect them, continue to anoint them, fill them anew, Lord, give them the fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit, God, and the gifts to carry out the work that you have for them. Lord, I pray you would tear down, break down strongholds, Lord, in people's lives. I pray, God, that you would tear down and break strongholds down in this community, in our government, in this country, in this land, Lord. I pray your holy name will be proclaimed, Lord, from every single church, Lord, from every pastor standing in a pulpit, and that, God, we will stand united with you, Jesus, in these last days, knowing that your holy hand, your hand of protection will be upon us, and that, Lord, we are going to leave all the consequences to you. We're not going to defend ourselves. We're going to trust you and you alone, Jesus. God, have your way in us here this evening, and we thank you for the protection. We receive it, we believe it, and now we expect it, Lord. And we pray this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. God bless you.